You're like a tap. You have some of those in your house? Taps? You're like a tap. You're always going to be under pressure. Ever had a tap break? What happens? A mess happens. This time of year especially, if you live in an old house, it's always in the back of your mind, isn't it? What if it gets so cold that the pipes burst, that a tap gives up the ghost and breaks? You're like a tap. You are always going to be under pressure. Here's a question about pressure. Are you a thrive under pressure kind of person or a crack under pressure kind of person? I really think there's only two kinds of people. There's no equivocation when it comes to pressure and what it does to a person. Do you love pressure? My crazy brother Jess loves pressure. He loves pressure so much that he doesn't write his sermon until like five in the morning on Sundays. I'm like, boy, you crazy. Pers- I, 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 I can't even talk about I wouldn't even sleep. He needs pressure. Unless he has pressure, he can't perform. He's a thrive under pressure kind of person. Maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you know someone who's a crack under pressure person. Someone who hates pressure so much that they'll do anything they can to avoid it. Do you know somebody like this? Maybe you're like this. And I'm not saying one is good, one is bad. Right? Joe, right? He's admitting it. It's true. Joe is organized, methodical. I could use a little Joe in my life. Right? Well, not pegged, but you know what I'm saying. Right? I don't like pressure, so I'm going to plan. I'm going to organize. I'm going to do what I can to avoid it. Thrive under pressure, crack under pressure. I'm not saying one is good, the other is bad. They're just two types of people. Do you love pressure or hate it? Next question. Um, What are some of the key pressure points in your life? You can probably rhyme them off, right, without even thinking about it. Marriage, kids, money, in-laws. Nikki and I have done a little bit of marriage counseling in our life so far. Every time we sit down with a young couple who's contemplating tying the knot, we always talk to them about sex, in-laws, and money. If you've been married for more than a hot minute, you know that those are some of the key pressure points you deal with over and over and over again throughout your life together. You worried about your finances? Maybe some of you have gotten to the point in life where that's not a key pressure point, but many of you are still there. Maybe your work is a key pressure point. Maybe you're dealing with strife at work. Pressure. The burden of physical or mental distress. Pressure. The constraint of circumstance. I like that one. I mean, I don't like it, but I like it. Pressure. The application of force to something by something else in direct contact with it. Pressure. The action of a force against an opposing force. Pressure, the stress or urgency of matters demanding attention. Those are the definitions from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. You always know it's a loaded word when there's more than one definition. Like, there are six definitions for pressure. That's how much pressure there is in the world. Right? There's so much pressure, we have to define it six different ways. Pressure is very much in play. In Genesis chapter 30, take a look. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. 
She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant, Bilchah, go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Bilchah, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Bilchah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilchah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy, so she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? This is a crazy story. Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Say what? (laughs) When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, sucker, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. I added the sucker, I'm just saying. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband, so she called his name Issachar. Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So sad. So she called his name Zvulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. Then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Yosef, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. La'asof means to add. Yosef. Ya'asof. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Lavan, Send me away that I may go to my own home country. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service I have given you. But Lavan said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came. It's increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you do this for me, I will again pass through your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Lavan said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Lavan, the rat, removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. Then he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Lavan's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the whites of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. 
And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. This is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Lavan. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Lavan's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. Tricky, tricky Jacob. So the feebler would be Lavan's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. If you're thinking, how is this man going to preach this text, you thought right. I wasn't happy with my hook till 3.30 this morning. I wrote it on Friday as usual, but I was just tormented. because If I can't encapsulate the sermon in one sentence, I feel I'm not ready to preach it. So the one sentence that I had just wasn't good enough. So I was kind of dreaming about it all night. And I woke up at 3.30 to pee, and I was like, boom, I had it! I was like, all right, good. So we'll get there, but we're going to have to do some work first. Kind of a big thesis, I'll reduce it for next week, but the big idea here is everyone deals with pressure. It fits into some common sub-themes. There are some things you should and should not do in response to it, while keeping in mind that in spite of the fact that we are always going to be under pressure, God is always going to be at work. So we don't need to get bogged down with baby wars and farm animals. That's your thesis. I told you it's a bit convoluted. What are the sub-themes I'm talking about? Okay, here they are. I'll point them out as we go through, but I just want to hit you off the top. Baby wars, that's a sub-theme. Husband wars, another sub-theme. God steps in twice, another big sub-theme. I want to make my own way. There's no such thing as a fair deal. It's usually success at any cost, which is why God had to pay the cost, so you could live blessed and not cursed. Let's unpack it. Sub-theme number one, baby wars. Um, This is outlined in verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to read it again. What happens here? you got two unhappy wives. Rachel's unhappy because she's barren. Barrenness in that age of the world was equated with being cursed. So she's the love of Jacob's life. He's loved her from his youth. He served her father seven years to marry her. You recall this from last week. His father-in-law pulled a fast one, married him to the older sister Leah first. Leah of the lazy eye. Didn't love her, loved her sister. Had to marry the older sister. And had to serve another seven years to marry Rachel, the one he wanted in the first place. An irony of ironies, the beloved Rachel turns out to be barren. She's cursed, so she's unhappy. Then you have Leah, the older sister, who's also unhappy. She's able to have kids. She had a bunch of kids last chapter, but then she stopped bearing. We'll find out in a minute why. She's also unhappy. Why? Because her husband doesn't love her. You have two unhappy women, so they're engaging in baby wars. Rachel's like, if I don't have a child, I'm going to die. So she invokes a custom that was common in that day. And she marries her maidservant to her husband. So her maidservant becomes one of Jacob's concubines. He's like, take Bilchah. Remember Bilchah? My dad gave her to me when we got married. I want you to marry her. I want you to sleep with her. And the baby she has will be considered my baby. Okay, all right, fine. Jacob sleeps with her. Dan is the result. You know what Dan means? Judged. God has judged me. And interestingly, he sleeps with her again, and another boy shows up, calls him Naftali, which means wrestled. I've wrestled with my sister. I thought it was pretty sad when she finds out she's pregnant. She's like, aha, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. 
It shouldn't be about your sister. Imagine if you grew up with the name wrestler. To remind your, what, aunt? That your mom defeated her. Leah's not going to stand by and let this happen. She gets in on the action. She's like, well, if you can do it, I can do it. Take Zilpa, my maid. Marry her too. Poor guy, now he's got four wives. Like, man, four wives, two more sons. Gad, what Gad means? Literally, a troop cometh. Soldiers on their way. Victory's here, a troop cometh. Gad. Another son, Asher. What Asher means? I'm rich. I'm rich. Rachel's dealing with the pressure of barrenness, the pressure of cursedness. You ever felt cursed? Well, that's a nasty kind of pressure. She's dealing with the pressure of envy. You ever been envious of somebody? Oh, man. Envy is totally prevalent and insidious in our society. I don't even need to say why. Y'all know why. Totally. Everywhere you look, Somebody's living a better life than you. At the very least, it makes you depressed. On a really bad day, it makes you hate them a little bit, doesn't it? Because you're resentful of their beautiful life. You wish you had their beautiful life so much that it's turning you bitter on the inside. Envy. Envy's a terrible pressure to live under. Rachel is totally desperate. The next time you feel totally desperate, I want to invite you to try not to take matters into your own hands. It's going to be hard, but I want you to try. So you need to see your life reflected in the lives of the patriarchs and their wives. So it's not likely that you're going to marry your maidservant to your husband, but it's very likely that you're going to deal with the pressure of envy. I want to invite you to not take matters into your own hands as you respond to the pressure of envy. And, because the scripture here is kind, I want to be kind and remind us, that even if you fail in that, even if you do take matters into your own hands, because I must confess, I have done this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in my life. Something bad happens, leap into action. Something bad happens, leap into action. Okay, that's my bias. I want to fix it now. So even if, like me, you have failed repeatedly, I want to remind you that God is merciful. And you can trust his mercy. Verse 6. Then Rachel said, here it is, judgment and mercy in one verse. God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Isn't that nice? What she's doing is not necessarily good, not necessarily positive, not necessarily something God has spoken taking matters into her own hands, but God also heard her voice. God is judge, and he hears your cry. Isn't that good? Thank God, right? There's an imperative there, but there's also some comfort. So put your trust in him, and remember to keep your suffering in perspective. Okay, Rachel is barren. That's pretty bad. She feels cursed. But Leah is hated. If you're Rachel, you feel pretty bad about yourself because you're barren. But imagine being Leah, who's not barren. 
but can't have any more kids because her husband will not sleep with her. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing. Why has she ceased bearing? She's not barren. She had a bunch of kids last chapter. We find out in just a second that she's still capable of having children. Therefore, the only reason she's not bearing is because no one's helping her. No one's laying down with her at night. Her husband doesn't love her. Oh, that minor detail. Can you imagine living in a loveless marriage? Maybe some of you are. This sermon's for you. Because God feels your pain today. And Jesus has identified with your misery. He's paid the cost of it. And he's made a way for you to live through it and find joy. We'll get to the gospel in a minute. Keep your suffering in perspective. No matter how bad your life gets, someone else always has it worse. Right? So use that truth to control your despair in the moment. Because the moment can be pretty bad, right? But use that truth, remember Leah, to control your despair in the moment. Also, maybe I should do like a marriage commercial here for a second. Don't let the pressures of life make you stop loving one another. Don't stack. You know what stacking is? Like you've got a problem at work, but now it's a problem at home. You've got a problem with your kids, but now it's a problem with your wife. You've got a problem with your friends, now it's a problem with your husband. Don't stack. Next, name the real problem. The real problem is you burnt the pancakes. You're freaked out because someone burnt the pancakes? You want to slap yourself in the head right now, don't you? You want to go, dang it. Maybe it's not pancakes. Maybe, what did we get mad about at you about last week? You spilled something, right? Zoe spilled like her water, and I got mad at you, didn't I? I'm sorry. I apologize to you in person, but now I'm doing it in front of like a couple hundred people. I'm sorry, baby. I got mad at Zoe because she spilled the water. Zoe wasn't the problem. I had problems. Okay, name the real problem. Y'all do this? Don't let the burnt pancakes spoil your marriage and refuse to stay irritated. Note, it's normal and okay to get irritated, right? Because the burnt pancakes smell bad. You know, you did all that work and now they're ruined. So it's, you're irritated, but don't stay irritated. Y'all know the difference. Y'all know it's easy to stay irritated. But broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many are those who go in by it. But narrow the way, narrow the gate, and difficult the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. There's my marriage commercial. You're welcome. Look, if you don't do those things, then something as ridiculous as the grocery list might push you over the edge. Look at verses 14 through 16. So Reuben goes out in the field, finds some mandrakes. What's a mandrake? You got that image ready, Lukey? That's a mandrake on screen. If you love the Harry Potter movies, remember the mandrakes? You pull them out, they scream, everybody dies. So the scene in the greenhouse, the kids are all wearing their earmuffs, dealing with the mandrakes, creepy little ah! things. <laughs> The, the, the crazy old mandrakes were, did become an affectation in witchcraft and the occult. 
but they're just a plant. Mandrakes. Ruben goes out in the field to find some mandrakes, brings them home. Leah's like, can I get some of those? Well, why is that? Well, um, mandrakes in Hebrew mean love fruit. It's good, right? Love fruit. <laughs> the same word occurs in the Song of Songs. Forgive me, my daughter's here so I can say it. All right, it means boobs, breasts. Solomon is very excited about them. Song of Songs. So it's love fruit. That's what a mandrake is. So we don't know if it's like literally like that plant from Harry Potter, but the idea behind mandrakes is still this way in Judaism to this day. You can still go into Machane Yehuda, the big market in Jerusalem, and buy juice that's kind of mixed with mandrake, even though it's like hallucinogenic and poisonous. It's also a known aphrodisiac and fertility enhancer. So Rachel's like, I need some of that. I need, let me have some of those mandrakes. Right, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I understand why they're fighting about this. They both want what they can't have. Rachel wants a child. She wants fertility. What does Leah want? She just wants some physical attention. She wants some physical love from her husband. That's why she says, what, it's a small matter that you've stolen my husband? Now you want to take my mandrakes also? She's stacking. She's holding on to her irritation. Right? And she is making a big deal out of nothing. I want to point out that both of these women are willing to do anything to get what they want. Rachel says in verse 15b, uh, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Say, what? So Jacob come home, comes home from work, and in verse 16, Leah said, uh, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Imagine what Jacob's saying. He's saying, these crazy women, these crazy wives, I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. Like, that's, that's crazy. Okay, let me point out something very interesting here. Who's at fault in this situation? It's kind of a no-fault insurance scenario, to be honest. Is Jacob at fault? I don't know, not really. Laban deceived him. Right, if you go right back to the root problem, Levan deceived him. It wasn't his fault. He signed up for Leah. He signed up for Rachel. He got given Leah. Now, Louis is right because he could have gone the extra mile. But I thought about this, Louis, and Jesus hadn't come yet. Jacob didn't know Jesus, and Jesus hadn't said, go with him the extra mile. Give him your cloak also. So I was like, I thought the same thing, but then I was like, no, because the Christ hadn't come yet. So Jacob doesn't have access to the Holy Ghost in that way, doesn't have access to the truth about Jesus. So he can't turn the other cheek. I don't know if he's at fault. Is Leah at fault? I don't know. I mean, it's not her fault that Jacob loves somebody else. Plus, her dad is the one who gave her to Jacob in the first place. As a daughter in that culture, she would have had no control over that decision. So she gets put into this marriage, this unhappy marriage, through no choice of her own. It's not her fault. Is it Rachel's fault? Well, I mean, it's not. she's nasty, but it's not her fault that she's barren. Is it her fault that she's barren? No, we have no record of any sin in Rachel's life that's led to God cursing her with barrenness. In fact, in verse 2, it says God closed her womb. So while Louis right that we can, in light of Jesus, go the extra mile, before Jesus here in this context, sometimes life is just hard. And so now you think about the world we live in and you realize that sometimes life is just hard. There is no justice to be found. 
Sometimes the world is just broken. So here's the point. Stop trying to tie yourself up in knots in an effort to solve all your problems. Instead, look for God to step in. Verse 17. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. God listened to her. She calls his name. I got paid, baby. I got paid. And clearly the one-night mandrake fling rekindles Jacob's interest in Leah, because here we go again in verse 19. A sixth son shows up, Zvulun. And then a daughter, Dinah. You know what Zvulun means? Literally from the Hebrew, it's so sad. Maybe now he'll stay with me. Remember next time you deal with desperate, nasty people? They might have that kind of pain in their life. So you should give them a little grace. We've got a good church name here. Let's live by it. Give them a little grace. Maybe now he'll stay with me. The ladies are fighting husband wars. But God steps in. You may feel like you're at war, but God has not forgotten you. We're on sub-theme number three now. God steps in. This is what happens in verses 23 through 24. God steps in. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Yosef, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Three points here are very important. God remembers. God listens. God opens. If you're taking notes, write those down. He remembered her. He listened to her. And he opened her womb. Same is true for you. God remembers you. God will listen to you. God will open for you. God has not forgotten you. He hears your prayers. He will open up the new door. You're like the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3. I know your works. Feel it. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Receive it as a rhema word for you today. I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Revelation 3.8. Don't lose hope. He has the key of David. So resist the urge to figure things out yourself. Like stupid old Lavan in verse 27. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. A lot of the Bible commentators are very uncomfortable with the fact that he was using divination to figure out something that God had done. So like some of the translations are like, I just figured it out through wisdom. Except in Hebrew, divination is nachashti. And nachashti comes from the root nachash, which is snake. And we all know that we don't mess with no snakes. Don't mess with no snakes. All right? Resist the urge to do whatever it takes. Remember King Saul and the witch at Endor? He's so desperate, he messes with the snake too. Okay, I don't care how much pressure you're under, don't mess with no snakes. And don't try to make your own way, even though that's a normal response. Jacob has this response in verse 30, part B. But now when shall I provide for my household also? Isn't the pressure to provide just immense? Do you feel the weight of it at all times? Or is it just me? It's just me? Nah, it's not just me. The pressure to provide is immense. The doors of faith turn on these hinges, friends. Is God your provider, or are you? Do you work for the bank? Do you work for Zaris? Do you work for Chevy? Do you work for Grace? Or do you work for Jesus? And newsflash, this doesn't just apply to ministry people. We will all be made kings and priests to our God one day, Revelation 1.6. Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees, is your provider. So start living like it. 
That's hard. That's hard for me. That's one of the hardest things in my life. Is to consistently trust Jesus when I don't see a way out. Specifically when it comes to providing for my family. See, if you try to run your own life, it's going to devolve into constant conflict, like what happens in verses 28 through 43. This is where Levan and Jacob are fighting about the flocks. Jacob proposes a fair deal. He's like, I'll take the striped and speckled ones and the black ones. You can keep everything else. Levan's like, yeah, that's a good deal. Then he immediately breaks the deal, doing whatever it takes to try to win. Takes all those sheep that Jacob has said will be his, steals them and moves them three days away so that there's no way they can interbreed with the leftovers that Jacob now has to deal with. So what does Jacob do? Well, he fights back. He fights back and he begins his selective breeding campaign. Very weird. Takes these sticks, marks them up a certain way, makes the animals breed in front of them. Some commentators think this is like something miraculous that happened. Other commentators think this is like just a method that he learned from his father's. Whichever one you're more comfortable with is fine by me. I'm not really worried about it. What sticks out to me here is that through this selective breeding campaign, something begins to happen. And you'll see in a moment what power is at work. Point is this. The women are fighting baby wars. The men are fighting a trade war. Everybody is always at war because sin is real, which is why God the Son had to become a man. So that he, Jesus, could go to the cross. So that as he hung there on that cross, God the Father could declare war on God the Son so that you could live in peace. It's the only way to live in peace. is to walk with Jesus. And to commit your life to him. And to live in the peace that he has accomplished through his cross. Worship team, you can join me because I'm almost done. Because of what Jesus has done, you can live in peace. So while it's true that there's no such thing as a truly fair deal because everyone is always interested in success at any cost, Jesus has paid the cost. Jesus has paid the cost. So you can live blessed and not cursed. Like what happens in verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. This is an eerie echo of Genesis 12, 16, where we read the following. And Abraham had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Which is a very eerie fulfillment of the promise at the top of Genesis chapter 12. In verses 1 through 3 where we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is at the root of of all blessing. It was true for Jacob. It's true for you. Because God's promise to Abraham in Christ is His promise to you. 
So you see, in spite of the fact that um, you're always going to be under pressure, God is always going to be at work, which means you don't have to get bogged down with baby wars and farm animals.